Welcome to the Curiosity Club podcast, here to reschool us all in the things that really matter. I'm your host, founder of the Curiosity Club and certified life coach, Katri Barrett. Each episode, I speak to special guests asking the awkward and important questions so you don't have to. Each season, we focus on diving into a topic from our curious curriculum self, mental health, sex, relationships, work, money, and a whole lot more. This is the podcast where we have the conversations needed to remove the shame, stigma, and feel less alone in the experiences that we all have in common. Are you curious? Pull up a chair and join us. Welcome to the penultimate episode of season three. As always, I can't quite believe how fast time has gone, but here we are. And today I have something a little different for you, which I am very excited about. So for the first time ever, I have experienced being on the other side of the mic and I am being interviewed by the one and only Beth Ashley. Beth is an editor and journalist who loves to cover topics around sex, class and mental health. And not only that, she is also our wonderful digital editor over here at the Curiosity Club. It was an absolute privilege to be interviewed by Beth, not to mention incredibly fun to be the interviewee instead of the interviewer for once. And following the theme of this season, we explored everything that I wish we'd learn in school and how this idea and this passion around what was missing in our education the first time around and the desire to kind of fill that gap is what founded and sparked my idea for the Curiosity Club. A lot of my inspiration for the Curiosity Club and my work as a life coach stems from my experience at school and how I felt and my mental health challenges and everything that that led to. So I'm really looking forward to sharing this with you. Next week for the final episode of the season, I'm going to be guiding you through a personal debrief to round up this season where we've been exploring a lot of self-discovery. And I think the running theme through what everyone has shared is the importance of knowing yourself. And something that we have as a as a download on the homework area of the Curiosity Club is this tool book that I call the Personal Debrief. And we're going to be diving into that together to end and round up this season, leaving you with some really practical tools and powerful reflections and insights that you can start using to get to know yourself so that you too can better help yourself. I would like to apologize in advance for a couple of dodgy sound quality moments in this episode. We were navigating and doing our best with a few technical errors. As always, I would really appreciate you leaving a rating and review as it really, really helps us boost the podcast. Enjoy this episode. So hi, Beth. Welcome to the Curiosity Club podcast. I'm very excited to do this slightly different or very different episode today where I'm going to be on the other side of the mic, well, the usual mic, but but kind of on the other side. Well, do you want to start by telling everyone a little bit about who, who you are and what we're going to be doing today? Yes, I'm very, very excited to be here and especially in this capacity because we are doing things a little bit differently. Um, God, every time someone asks you who you are, you just forget who you are, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Dreaded question. Yeah, I have been a journalist and creative writer for about six years now, which... God, that is so long. I feel old just saying that. Um, 
Yeah, so I usually write about sex and relationships and class and politics for a range of national publications, which is such an exciting job. But recently, I've also been working at the Curiosity Club, helping Katri out with digital editing and a lot of essay editing, which has been amazing because I've got to see and like read and hear so many amazing stories. Like we've had such a range in the last few months, haven't we? So it's exciting to now be on the podcast because I've listened to it before I worked with you and now I'm on it. <laughs> I feel a bit famous. <laughs> no, you're on it. I know, I love it. And I'm so excited to have you. Obviously, we've been working together, all those incredible essays in, over the last few months as you've been helping out as the digital editor. And it's been such a pleasure. And now I get to be on the interview e-side of, of your work. And I'm really excited because I've not... I've not done this before. I've I've either done solo episodes where I've just been talking or interviewing people, guests, and, and that's been so much fun. Whereas now I'm on the other side, so I've sent you already uh, over my sort of main points because we're following as as uh, the whole season the kind of the, the format of the things that we wish we'd learned in school, which I've been reflecting on a lot from every conversation and sharing little bits. But it was really interesting to uh, really dive into it and reflect myself. It's quite a almost like therapeutic and nostalgic exercise actually do it like looking back at your school time like this and bringing up loads of things I found myself like on a run this morning like thinking of all these different memories that I'd kind of forgotten about coming up because of it but I will pass the mic over to you and let you kick things off yeah absolutely and I I agree with you I think the podcast has exposed just how how many different things we kind of missed out on in school as well because I before listening to the podcast and before working um at the curiosity club I thought it would just like everybody would say the same like couple of things but actually we've missed out on a wealth of uh, important subjects in school so I think that's why um what you're doing is so important because we're inviting people to do learning as an adult which is so important when you didn't get to do the learning you wanted to do when you were a kid. Um, So yeah, I'm really excited. And that's going to lead us on, I think, to what you wish you were taught and learned at school. So you're in the hot seat now. (laughs) This is the question you ask everybody, and now I'm going to flip it on to you. Um, But I'm sure, as you said, you've had a lot of time to think about this and what you really missed out on at school that you wish you would have been taught. So I know you mentioned um, navigating grief and I think that's a really interesting one because it's quite heavy Um, and it's something I think maybe people would say oh well kids don't need to learn about that because I think people see grief as a very adult experience but it's not necessarily and I think grief takes more forms than just the one we're maybe expecting so I'm very keen to hear more about what you think about how you should navigate grief and what we've kind of missed out on that. And I think I totally agree with you. It's something that it's only in the last, actually the last year, I think since the pandemic that I've almost learned, been learning more about grief and understanding it. And I think when I was thinking about what my answers were going to be to, to these and the things I wish that I'd learned, I realized how much this is why the Curiosity Club exists, like why I've created this as, as, as a brand. And as we're evolving and we're working on many different exciting things that are about to kind of be launched and products and services and things like that. And I think encapsulating that was like the need for a, a, 
a curriculum or, or lessons, regular lessons, weekly, even more than weekly, that, that taught us how to navigate the experiences that we will all have throughout our lives. Like as children, like you, what is, there's certain things that are for certain that will happen to everyone. They'll happen differently. They'll happen at different times um, and we'll feel differently and, 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 and kind of experience them differently. But I think some of those things are certain. And, and I think grief and loss is one of them. And I think there's a, there's, a number of them that we'll, we'll talk sort of through them a little bit. And I, that's why I sort of, it's one thing that kind of curriculum of everything around our experiences, but it's something that we'll all go through um, at some point. And I think it was actually last season I, uh, after I spoke to Julia Sam, Samuels, who's a grief expert and her incredible book, um, well, multiple books now in podcast season. And she and her work really helped me understand and see grief differently and not as just something that you go through when someone dies but when you experience any sort of loss and she talks about living loss and how sometimes that's either preempting something that you're going to lose and that's certainly something I relate to I think being quite an anxious child and that kind of developing because it went unnoticed or unrecognized um which we'll definitely be talking about shortly um into having like clinical anxiety that fear of losing like being really paranoid about people I love dying, worrying about that all the time and losing sleep over it. And it's, you know, for me now, that's still a sign that my that I'm feeling anxious and kind of need to do some things to make myself feel better because those intrusive thoughts about people I love like dying sort of still sort of come in. But I think that, and knowing that it's not just about death, it's about grief is also about, we've all experienced it in the pandemic and that you not being able to see your friends, losing a job, moving house, it's any sort of change. And I think the ability, if we could have been taught when we were younger, of course, we can still learn it now, how to navigate change and also the emotions that that brings up, the pain, that sense of loss, so that either we don't fear it and and kind of live in that um, expectation of like worrying about it coming all the time, or, or, but also so that we don't kind of, when it does happen, because it is inevitable, people are going to, things are going to always change. I, I think that is the most important thing that, that we can all embrace. It can be the scariest thing to embrace, but it's the biggest certainty of life that things are going to change. You're going to change. Your circumstances are going to change people around you are going to change and some people are are not some quite a lot people are going to die you're going to die but not fearing that if we could somehow well not somehow there are ways to do it but if the more we can kind of become comfortable with that and I think it's certainly in our culture our western culture and certainly in Britain like death is something to be feared it's something you don't talk about it's something if it happens like you know especially when you know, when someone does die, it's like, right, you put the, the body goes away, dead bodies are really fearful, fear. there's so much fear around it and uncertainty. And I think if that, if something that we could change around that, I don't know what your, how do you feel about this? Something I've actually been talking about a, few, a lot recently and how we navigate death here in, in our culture. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I agree with you that the way that we're encouraged to look at death, particularly in Britain and fear death, is it's not really suited me at all and maybe it's not suited a lot of people but they felt like they need to conform because they're like this is the process for death like I was literally talking to my family yesterday about how much we all hate funerals and the way they're done and how 
none of us would want anyone to do that for any of us so we just all sort of agreed like let's not like this sounds really dark but my nan like really <laughs> really like callously was like if you like want to save money you can just not claim me if you want and then I'll get a council burial <laughs> which I know she's only joking but the way that we got to that conversation is she was talking about how when someone passes away the rest of the family feel almost nothing but pressure um to have like this almost perfect send-off and then um perfect grief that lasts one perfect month and then you have to just be fine after that and I don't know if this is common or if it's just the kind of um way it's been around death in my like community in my circles but so many people like never want to mention it again like it's almost like there's a grieving period and after that you just need to shut up <laughs> and that is not realistic at all and I completely agree with you as well that so much of grief is about fear of change I think and maybe people don't realize that like obviously it's a deep sadness for having lost someone or lost a job or I think a lot of breakup is grief as well. Like I think the biggest feelings of grief I've had are after a relationship has ended. Um, a lot of it is about change because you have to uproot your entire life. Like if somebody leaves you, you have to change everything about your routine, where you live. Some people have to change their job because they might have worked with them. It's it, it, it grief shows up everywhere and yeah I, I totally agree with you what you were saying then really resonated about it being a fear of change and us needing to be a bit more comfortable with change but that's never been the structure of British society has it it's always been school job marriage house children and anything that doesn't follow that order or you end up doing it again or <laughs> you end up doing it in the wrong order is a failure mm -hmm. that that's certainly the way I look at it anyway maybe I'm being very pessimistic about our society but just looking at like my relatives who've got divorced and started the structure again gone back to school done something different or gone back to dating after a 20-year marriage they've had this like such intense feeling of failure and I'm like it's just change it's not regressing it's just different mm -hmm. but I don't think that our culture likes difference it's very strange no I totally agree I'm like nodding away as you're saying that because and that's exactly when I envision like what that curriculum of the life lessons at school in terms of like how to experience your life that all of those things you just said encapsulate that so it would be like grief and loss how to navigate change embracing failure um um a breakup how to deal with a breakup because all of those things we're all going to experience like it's a certainty and I think it, if we could have been taught how to um best navigate that um how to stay resilient during those times how to cope with those times like all of those things I'm saying like if those had been each week a lesson um as part you kind of you know you was made up in the weekly lessons made up of terms like 
it would we would have been so much better equipped as adults and fundamentally like this is why and what the curiosity club is like that is why i am building and we're you know exciting things i keep mentioning dropping that the exciting things are coming but in the next few months like we're working up very hard behind the scenes on lots of products and services coming your way exciting things announcements will be coming but literally creating this like this the bit that was missing because there's what it has produced is generations of adults and I think we are better equipped at how to navigate or attuned into our emotions than our, our parents and grandparents generations because they didn't bless them have any kind of way of acknowledging this or working with it we there is progress but there's still so much progress to make to make and essentially it's you can re-educate you can learn your this as adults and that is what the curiosity club you know it's, that's what my, I feel my mission with the curiosity club is is to learn those practical skills to better navigate human experiences it's like your humanness like how can you embrace your humanness your emotions your thoughts and that was something else that I popped on there um I, I said that would be like a lesson here is and I think something that I really struggled with um because I now looking back in hindsight it, I was also having lots of mental health challenges with clinical anxiety for years before it was recognize and even when I had been diagnosed with clinical anxiety I still didn't believe that that's what it was because I didn't understand what I didn't know what that what I was feeling was anxious doctors were telling me that's what it was but I was like nah that's not it I'm so chilled and laid back it was only in like 10 years afterwards I was like oh now I understand what anxiety is because in my head I'd seen it as um you were only anxious it was a certain type of person that was anxious and I didn't that it was someone who didn't want to do things or wasn't sociable and because I was on the outside quite outgoing quite extroverted um and and other people kind of said to me how confident I was like that from the outside how people perceived me I then thought then I can't be that that isn't who I am whereas it was only after I realized oh no actually I am an introverted extrovert and actually I every time I all those times when I'm worrying what people are thinking of me I am feeling anxious like having panic attacks on nights out but didn't realize that's what it was I was like oh (laughs) all of that was that's what that was that was feeling anxious so I think if we could know how to if it was from a young age like like ingrained in us or normalized to be able to recognize your thoughts and emotions and to remove or less identify with them so that to know like, oh, I think that that person is, you know, think like judging me or thinking I'm stupid, but be able to recognize, okay, that's just a thought. It doesn't mean that they are, it's not, you know, your thoughts are not facts like that. And I think, I mean, we'd be a whole different society, a whole, like the world would be a different place if we could all know that every thought we have isn't necessarily true about ourselves, about other people as well, certainly. Um, that they come from our experiences or our biases and our beliefs. Um, it doesn't make us a bad person, whatever those are, but you can, just, if you want to change what you're doing, your habits, behaviors, you've got to change that internal stuff, but also that emotional intelligence. I wish that there was as much, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like as much kind of people put as much um, of, of a pedestal as they do getting high exam results or IQ is emo- emotional intelligence. Because to me, I think that is so much more important to be able to understand what you're feeling, recognize what you're feeling, because that 
is enables everyone to respond to that accordingly rather than react. And we're living in a, in a, in a world where everyone is so reactive. And that means you're either numbing your emotions with food, drink, sleep, drug, like whatever it is, shopping, um, or avoiding them by squashing them down, pretending they don't exist. And, and again, that just feeds into all of those, you know, unhelpful ways of being and it causes a everyone causes an individual to then feel like they're not living life that according to who they want to that sense of dissatisfaction which most of the time when people are feeling or a lot of the time you don't even realize that's what you're feeling I think that for me it's my whole school experience for well secondary school experience was that that like crisis of identity <laughs> without realizing because I was feeling and thinking all of these these things that were really uncomfortable and challenging and, and scary, but I didn't understand that. And that caused me to just numb those feelings or self-medicate those feelings with drugs and alcohol. And that's how I navigated social anxiety going out, being in, you know, I needed the bubble. That's what I used to say. Oh, I've got to have that bubble to be able to go out. Can't talk to people in the I've got my bubble of like taking something or drinking something, but that was so problematic in many many ways <laughs> so yeah, those thoughts the thoughts and emotions as children but also like that would change adults I think so many adults struggle struggle yeah. with that I think like you were saying teenagers are like the poster child for thinking your thoughts are facts so that would have been the perfect time to start learning um, those skills and being able to identify what is thought what is fact and what feelings are because I think similarly to you with anxiety the first time I ever went to therapy a few years ago my therapist kind of diagnosed me if you like with shame and I was like no I don't have shame I'm not like because I never feel embarrassed I'm just not that kind of person very similarly to you super extroverted I love going out I'm never in my own house or someone is in mine except for the last year which has been very challenging for me and I was like, there's no way that I'm feeling shame. And then when they explained to me what shame actually was, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm full of shame. <laughs> Please help. <laughs> but like, that was something I've been feeling for a very long time. And I had the complete wrong end of the stick about what shame actually is, how it manifests and how it makes people feel. And I think, like you say, I don't think this comes naturally to anyone. It is a skill. And when I meet people who are emotionally intelligent, I'm really impressed because I now know what work they've put in. Like my mom is an extremely like emotionally intelligent person. And like just the way she like um, resolves conflict and like she would never get in an argument basically because it just wouldn't get to that point. And she's, there must be like 20 years of work behind that. <laughs> And I, I think it, it is a skill that must be taught. There is hardly anyone who would just grow up really in tune with their emotions and how they work in, with the current setup that we have and the current schooling and the way society works and everything. Like I, that's probably why mental health issues are so common because it's, is it one in three now? It used to be one in four people, but I think it's grown. And so much of it, must be to do especially when it comes to anxiety um with just not having those skills growing up not not so many people have no idea when they're having a panic attack they're just like what's wrong with me <laughs> and it 
if had they have known maybe in school maybe even at the local gp surgery would a pamphlet help <laughs> had they have known what panic attacks look like i think we have a culture of waiting for people to um get really bad before they start helping when really what we need is prevention we need some sort of way for people to spot this on their own and then they'll be straight in the doctors going i've had a panic attack i know what that means um this is what I've been going through over the years. And then there's that almost conversion path sort of thing for people to identify and then make an action on it. I totally agree with what you were, were saying and that unpacking you know, the, the emotional intelligence and being as valuable as the as like mental intelligence IQ, it's so valuable. And I what I think people forget about, and this is a, a sort of the underpinning of all of my work as a life coach and again with the curious club, isn't it? We're human, like we're human mammals. Like when you look at, like we forget about that kind of animalistic um, sort of element within us or we're so advanced as a society and it's, you know, all this amazing technology, but at the root of it, we are still human. Like, and we have to learn how to be humans having those experiences. And a big part of that is emotions. Like we can't, think our way only think our way out of it we need to under to like have that marriage between the feelings and, and the, the thoughts and what you said is really interesting about uh, younger generations now they have been there has been more of this conversation at school and I think like being taught mindfulness and being taught how to articulate their emotions and someone recently I think I'm trying to think who it was I can't remember if it was maybe for even for an episode of last season I'm in conversation with an expert recently who works with um I think it was a mental health expert who works with younger younger um children and teenagers and um they were saying that actually now with especially kind of more sort of gen z there's there's um they've become so good at articulating their feelings that now some of them that for some people has become problematic because they are so good at saying this is how they feel but they're not they're not they're naturally feeling it and a huge part of emotional intelligence and is, is processing your emotions. It's, it's allowing yourself to feel things, pro- process it, learn from, learn what you need to, or just let it be, and then it will pass and you, you can move forward. So when you can only, the challenge there is that if people are only, you're like cognizing your emotions and ultimately your emotions live in the body and they're, they're in your nervous system and it's a, it's a feeling. So it's finding that balance between allowing yourself to feel and experience the emotion whatever that is, the shame, the disappointment, the frustration, the anger, the happiness, the joy as well. It's about the pleasurable emotions too. And everything in between is a huge spectrum. But but then also not just feeling it, because that's when you can become stuck in it. You need to then also have that balance between then using your um, prefrontal cortex to rationalize the emotion, which is what how you can marry the two and, and kind of move into that, um, the your executive sort of functioning and that's how you process it but it's not getting stuck in one or the other and I think that might sound like it kind of sounds complicated as always there's no exactly do it this way it's trying to navigate that but that starts with that being curious that curiosity of what am I feeling why am I feeling this what do I need right now and not getting too stuck in in either side of of you're feeling so shame that you like get sh- it shuts you down. You're so, so shameful, so it shuts you down. Or not thinking about how you feel shame and why too much. <laughs> it's that bit in between. What helped you? Because I think that's really interesting. Shame is such a like I could talk about it 
for hours. What helped you? What were some of those things that were said to you that that helped? Because I think that's really helpful for people to to hear that made you kind of the penny drop to be like, oh no, wait, that is what I that is what I'm feeling. God, um it was a such a mind-blown experience to be honest because just finding out that I had shame like I said was like what like just utterly confusing but then what she said made so much sense and the first thing um you probably watched it because you're a life coach (laughs) but the first thing my therapist actually told me to do is just to go home and watch every TED talk Brené Brown had ever done and get her book so I did that and it really made me laugh because she has this fantastic TED talk about shame that's really really famous and then she does a follow-up to it about how that famous TED talk made her feel full of shame it's so good um and if you scroll through the comments it's like full of people like my therapist sent me here (laughs) so we were like in therapy club in the comments and what she says about shame really resonates with me where actually you need to not run from it but almost like reframe it so shame can be a really really helpful tool it can help you be really creative it can help you be really like innovative Um, and creativity is really important to me as well because that's like kind of like how I get my energy um that's how I get my happiness that's my thing um it's just about not fixating it on things like trauma So you have to do a lot of sort of detachment practice. Um, And I think you can do it yourself. There's a lot of resources online, a lot of TED Talks, a lot of books that help you reframe shame, think about it differently. So I think dissimilarly from anxiety, it's not actually about dispelling it. It's about using shame for what it's for rather than punishing yourself and almost mentally self-harming by attaching it to the wrong things or um seeing it as the wrong things because I think people are ashamed by shame so when they feel shame they're like oh like they feel really like a failure but actually really important it wouldn't be there if it wasn't important similarly to anxiety I guess because you can feel helpful anxiety anxiety can aid you sometimes it's a warning sometimes there's a reason you're anxious um Sometimes it's just letting you know that something's really important to you. Like if you're anxious before a job interview, you're not mentally ill. You're, it's just your stomach going, oh God, we really want this, don't we? <laughs> um, so it, it, it's about that. Like, learning, I guess, just comes back to everything that the Curiosity Club is all about. It, it, it's about learning. You got to pick up the books, pick up the YouTube videos. If you can go to CBT, I think it's really helpful, but it's not accessible for everyone. And to all my friends who haven't been able to do that, I've just been like, books, get books on shame and read about what shame actually is. And then you feel less scared of it because every time I feel shame now, I'm just like, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I just need to attach it to something else. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's the seeing the emotions as, as messengers. That's why I sort of with the coaching clients I always describe it as like, and whether it's shame, fear, doubt, anxiousness, they're there because we're humans and our brain and nervous system is trying to keep us safe from danger. So anything, whether it's that our brains don't know the difference between that, that threat, you know, thousands of years ago, there was maybe you know, a saber toothed tiger or a full email, a full inbox, like that, that, that level of threat and danger is life threatening in the same way to our brains and nervous systems. 
So they, the way they try to keep us safe from, from someone's judgment, someone's mean comment or, you know, a breakup or whatever it, the pain of a breakup, like all of that sort of stuff is to feel the emotion because the emotion is then the signifier is trying to like, it's like the flag of, Hey, you, you need to do something here. You need to say something to keep yourself safe. You need to run. You need to shut your laptop or avoid procrastinating. (laughs) Like all of those, those things that we think, we are misidentify with and take personally and think we're lacking something. We're, and that's why I was saying that piece of not believing the thoughts and emotions because you people take it on board and think, oh, I am, I am not good enough because I don't, I'm feeling doubtful or I'm procrastinating. So I'm lazy or all of these things. It's like, no, you're just human and you're having those emotions. So if you can recognize that and say, okay, I'm feeling shame, I'm feeling doubt. But then if you're, it's then choose it's because this this interview means a lot to me or I want to do a really good job writing this article or this uh, essay assignment you can then embrace it and then you get that autonomy and that choice of I'm going to choose to feel that feeling let it be there and then do the thing anyway and often that is when the feelings and the emotions kind of they subside so much quicker. Whereas when you're like, no, I don't want to feel this. Oh, I can't. And as you said, like, and being annoyed at yourself for being annoyed or you feel anxious because you feel anxious, um, which is really common. I mean, that's something I've resonated. That was my journey, especially from when I started CBT and you then become aware of your thoughts and negative thoughts and all, all those automatic negative thoughts, which CBT is amazing at building that self-awareness or then feeling anxious every time I felt I noticed an anxious thought. I was like, oh no, I'm feeling anxious again. Oh, and you get <laughs> stuck there, but that's part of the process. And you kind of have to lean into it, as you said, rather than, and notice those cycles. And it's just really, really, yeah, yeah. really, really helpful with that. But oh, yeah, the world would be a different place if we could have those, that curriculum. I think a couple of the other things that, that I'd put on there was kind of came up that, 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 normalizing trauma and like and that's of course like a complete spectrum but helping people when we're children because most of our our trauma to do like the the things that we hold and take into adulthood that really affect us and all of us happens when we're children so if that could have been a part of school and it wasn't the only option going to the the counselor if it was that you know whether it was a divorce whether it was an illness whether it was bullying whether whatever it was if you were taught as everyone was taught how to heal from that or how and, and acknowledge that within themselves, it would then free so many adults as you grew up, like the liberation almost for people because everyone in different, had different things going on. Some of course, like to varying degrees, but it, trauma is such a spectrum. But I think having that skill set, that coping ability, the resilience that we all need to navigate uh, like it would you know, we would all be completely different as as adults and everyone's relationships would be better we'd be better at our jobs we'd, we'd be better at society we'd be better there'd lots of problems that happen because of this unresolved trauma yeah. that happens not that it wouldn't be there but it would as you said pot- potentially for lots of people that prevent that prevention or it wouldn't get as bad for some people yeah. I think yeah it'd be a whole different whole different world I think teaching people to resolve trauma rather than avoid it is important. This is a bit of a dark sentence, but I think trauma of some level is just inevitable. I don't know a single person who hasn't had something happen between age one and 18 that messed them up a little bit. And it might be something that we think is silly. Like, why are you getting all worked up over that for? Because we've been something through like subjectively worse in our heads. Like, um, 
like you say, parents splitting up, uh, even like a pet death. Like my dog death really messed me up when I was a kid. No, I wasn't even a kid either. I was 19, but it still really messed me up. And other people might think, that's a bit weird, it's a dog. But for me, I'm still not over it, really. And I've had to work quite hard to um, get around that the death of my dog. And I just think I just think trauma is inevitable. Like I hear so many people say, like, oh, I wouldn't do this, this, and this if I ever have kids because I don't want them to have to go through that. And I'm maybe I'm being a bit of a pessimist, but I'm like, they will. Something's gonna happen. They're gonna have some sort of, like you, you can't like follow them to school or anything. Like not everything might be perfect at home, but someone might pull their pigtails at the playground and that might really upset them for a few years even if it's not that bad, according to other people. So I don't think we can avoid trauma the way we think we'd like to avoid trauma. And I really think people think they can. I think people think they're invincible a bit and that a trauma can be avoided or anxiety can be avoided or even just anything that falls under the umbrella of bad, but no, afraid not. <laughs> bad things are just going to happen to you. But that's why we should all have emotional skills and conflict resolution skills and trauma healing skills so that we can just face it instead of carrying it, which is what shame is. It's just letting it become like your thing and letting it overwhelm you and change the way you behave. But I don't blame people for doing that because it's so difficult to access those skills. We need modules. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If it had been that much, like as with, that's what I was, in my head, I envision it as, as you do with, um, I think it, there was something, I can't remember what it was called, but a PGE or PGSE, or there was a thing, and each term or half term, you do a different module. Like that's what I'm envisioning. Yeah, I think. That was, that was it. That was it. Yeah, yeah I'm confusing different things. But that, something like that, but it was just life skills. And you want, it would be sort of, money one one term or half term and then it would be maybe like coping and resilience for the next half term then sort of grief and loss and that would be like breakups change all of those sort of things I think yeah it would it would be great but this is where the curiosity club we're here to <laughs> as a segue <laughs> into <laughs> don't you worry everyone you can come to us we have got you <laughs> that's what we're here for I've got a really good quite life coaching question for you it's a bit me too so we're talking about all these things that like we missed out on when we were a child that we think would have been really helpful lessons for adulthood. How do you like, so I'm just going <laughs> to prepare myself for this question. When I started learning about this, when I started learning about shame and anxiety and like where it comes from and realizing that we've just grown up with like the wrong, not the wrong skill sets because the stuff we were taught in school is very helpful but we could have done with more of that, more emotionally led modules and more life-based classes. How do you stop fixating on like the anger of missing out on that? Because I see that in so many people and I get it sometimes as well. Like I just start feeling like so like robbed. Like I, I get really, really angry. Like when, when I went through a big trauma in my life and it was really difficult to get over, I kept feeling like I'd lost five, four years of my life because nobody told me how to deal with this. Like, how do you stop fixating on that? Like, even if it's just personally to you? 
I think firstly, like exactly as you've done there, it's that acknowledging where you're doing that. It comes back to that thought work and emotional work to acknowledge the narrative around what it means that you weren't taught that and reframing that. So rather than seeing that as a loss or a negative, because you cannot change anything that's happened before this moment now, like it's helpful to reflect on those things because that's how you can learn exactly as we are now, but to dwell on them is not going to change anything. All you can do is change from this point moving forward. So it's almost reframing that. And rather than seeing it, because uh, it's not helpful, reframing it into something that's helpful into that. Okay, well, I, I, it's not that I missed out. Like actually I've gained, thank God I've got that knowledge now. So what can I do with that? What do I want to do What with, with what I do know now? what do I wish I'd learn and how can I learn that now? Like, so it's with coaching, it's really like that self-coaching part of like looking forward. Like, okay, what do I, that's what's happened. That's led me to here. Or that was what didn't happen, which has led me to here. What do I want it to look like moving forward? And therefore what I can do. And sometimes it's literally just reframing like that simple reframe there of that limiting kind of limiting mindset, um, negative kind of narrative of, I can't believe I didn't get taught that. I'm so annoyed. I'm so angry. But instead being like, acknowledge the emotion there. Like, I feel disappointed. I feel resentment of the fact I didn't get taught that. But actually then thinking a more helpful balanced thought with, I didn't learn that, but I can now. I'm so grateful that now I can. And it's like, sometimes like it's that, it's quite... In com- like it can seem quite simple but it's that and, and practicing entertaining those sort of thoughts as you know from doing cbt the more you and lots of the coaching i do is cognitive behavioral coaching so the like thinking a thought at first you're not necessarily going to believe it it takes thinking it again and again yeah. and again and over time your feelings begin to align with that thought and you'll slowly begin to believe it because then what you'll start doing is learning the things that you wish you'd learn or feel um you know having those conversations and the more you think about how annoying something is and how annoyed you are at it the more annoyed and how and the more disappointed you're going to feel yeah does that answer that does that answer that question yeah i'm like it's slightly (laughs) mind-blowing i thought it was going to be helpful for so many people listening i hope because i see it so much like not just in me just like I don't know it's almost like sometimes people regret seeing through the looking glass and like identifying like what went wrong there because they're like oh now I'm just fuming about it and I feel really robbed like one of my older relatives went through it really badly because he realized that what he'd been experiencing his whole life were quite severe mental health issues that he had just been putting down because of his generation he's like almost 50 um and when he went to the doctors when he was like 45 and learned all of these things, he was just furious for like, like two years straight because he was like, I've had this since I was really little and no one's noticed. And he just was like so, so angry. And I didn't really know what to say to him. And I don't think he was sharing it with the right people. I think he was just sharing it with like me or his friends and stuff. And I think you never know what to respond because you're like, I'd be really angry too, actually. And But then that's not helpful because you're just fueling their fire. It's not It's not just me and it's not just him. I see it all the time. Like as soon as people get like a diagnosis or even just a realisation about something not mental health related, they're like just really angry, mm-hmm. really angry. I think people feel like they've had something stolen from them. Mm. So I think those 
kind of skills you're talking about and the way of framing it and, and looking at it is really important I guess just affirming to yourself that this is not a robbery it's a learning opportunity <laughs> and just letting yourself letting yourself feel that so like letting yourself be like you know what I should I am disappointed and I'm hurt and I, I feel let down and that's okay because it's just like with your uncle like yeah. that's justifiable like that's totally understandable but it, and then letting you're giving yourself space to kind of feel that and process that but then acknowledging that the more you do like the thoughts process between that and sometimes that 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 is when you need help to do that professional help be that through different you know a, a mental health professional talking therapies or coaching you, it's not something that's necessary as, as you go from there a to b with it but it's knowing that then the more when you get stuck in those narratives whether it's you know conversations to friends and people fueling it and that anger it's not how helpful is it it's just reflecting that and like okay is it do i want to continue to feel resentment and anger if you don't because often it's not the most helpful thing then it's you have to kind of re-attune and reaffirm something different because the more whatever you affirm to yourself via your thoughts via your actions behaviors that is what you're going to feel more of um and sometimes you can just change that with thoughts and 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 with thought work and, and things like that other times it takes a little bit more of trauma healing and and that is when professional help is like really helpful with that but yeah it's it's acknowledging where you're maybe getting stuck in the past with things and how helpful is that life happens here now and also looking forward yeah I think that leads quite well into what you were saying about um when 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 asked uh what you wish you were taught in school how to self-coach ourselves I think that's really interesting do you think that in schools we should be learning like proper cognitive behavioral self-assessment or something well I think that the the beauty about coaching and why I love it so much is that I very much see it similarly to like what we've been talking that it's it's a preventative and it's like and it's a curious being curious about yourself that and that's why curiosity is a big part of everything that I do and that it's how you relate to what's going on in your life how you're showing up to your life how do you get what you want and by that I mean a feeling that you want what do you want more of what do you want less of how do you get that or is it like you know uh something more material or is it a relationship like that it's that connection to life and I think so especially in the modern life so many of us are so disconnected from ourselves we're so disconnected from nature we're then because of that so disconnected from each other and our, our communities and you know, the global, as a global citizen, it's, you know, it's not just us in, in different countries. And I think that disconnection is where so many of the problems that we see on the individual, then it's, you know, addictions in all forms, whether that's social media, whether that's drugs, alcohol, um, whether that's conflict, whether it be that individual. So but uh, relationships breaking down um, or, you know, wider societal wars, um, lots of things like that. But then also problems like the like climate change, problems like mental health, chat, like as you said, the, the, the statistics and more and more people struggling with their mental health. All of these 
aren't necessarily completely preventable, but if the more we could understand ourselves and help ourselves as individuals, the better we can show up for us, the better we can show up for our friends and family, the better we can show up for our neighbors, for our wider community around the area we live. So the, the more that we the, the, the understand ourselves in that way and, and kind of build a better relationship with ourselves, it's, I, I personally see that as like transformative to all the wider kind of problems in the world. I think it starts with us as individuals. Yeah, and it, it's not about prevention or curing necessarily. It's, it's management. It's, it's about managing it. Yeah, exactly. And that that is precisely it. I think it's that management, that self-management. And that is what self, self-coaching is. It's, it's learning how to help yourself yeah. um, because... I mean, who doesn't want that? That's and it's the root to me that that's very much my style of coaching is really practical tools, techniques, insights into how you can show up in your life the way that you want and knowing what you want and knowing that sometimes you're not going to know what you want, but being okay with that and knowing that some things are going to be hard and knowing how to navigate that rather than only fixing something when it's broken and just waiting for that. It's like, well, no, how can I? perhaps minimize the chances of that happening but also how can I better equip myself so that when it does seeing it as inevitable rather than possible and seeing okay well what can I how can I prepare for that and it's no that's empowering not I see it as very empowering not um not negative it's it's being like well I know that things are going to happen and there's going to be challenges and I think this the pandemic was something that I think it was quite um I suppose humbling in a way I I written in in that the how I felt during the last year or so and how I how I handled it I was like almost like pretty impressed with myself it's like whoa hang on like you're you're not freaking out about this like this you if this has happened five six years ago this would be a whole different story and it really I was using so many of the tools that I have learned and it re- and it made me realize how far I've come don't get me wrong there's been moments as for everyone that have been really challenging and certainly the sort of last last sort of few months and the winter was really in lockdown was really difficult but I think for there was this I had this amazing sense of trust and sense of connection to other people which and I know that that came from the connection I built with myself which as when I I was a teenager certainly and in my early 20s I was so disconnected from myself didn't know who I was what I wanted didn't know what was going on for me and so the result of that was serious anxiety challenges depression taking loads of drugs using loads of alcohol just escaping every everything um because of that overwhelming emotions and not understanding it yeah yeah and I think so many people will be able to relate to that as well that constant stimulation isn't it if you you just want to be constantly stimulated or gaining escapism in some way but yeah, if we had those emotional skills we're yearning for. <laughs> um, I think the problem as well is that people maybe don't know that they need them in the first place to like demand them from anywhere. And that's why it should just be a, like a set menu of lessons. <laughs> exactly. It's not something that's, it's that everyone needs. It's not that it's only when something like this happens. It's everybody needs it. We all need it. And that's, yeah, as you said, it's a baseline because we're human, not because something's wrong with us. <laughs> Too many of us who are going through those things and have no idea what we even need to ask for it. Um, so yeah, that's a really good conversation. Thank you for sharing your skills. I feel like I've got a free life coaching session. <laughs> 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 I have to pay you. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I could but I could talk about this stuff for for hours. I love it. I love it. <laughs>
So to wrap up, who was your favourite teacher you've ever had and why? And it doesn't have to be one from school, any teacher. I was reflecting this because I've asked quite a lot, asked a few people this now, obviously recording the series. And my immediate one was like, my mum. And then I was like, oh no, uh, like I won't, like, my mum is like, um, I don't feel like I even need to say that. She has is amazing. And then actually I was thinking, it's along the same lines, but it's been my sisters because my, I'm one of three and I'm middle child, textbook middle child, everything that, you know, you were the stereotype of middle child, like plays out. <laughs> yeah, like I was it. That like the problem child. Hello, me. There we go. I like to think I'm not now, but absolutely growing up. I think, I mean, sibling psychology fascinates me and it's a whole, I mean, it's a whole other ball game we won't go into, but I think with my sisters, they've taught me so much about myself in, and I think siblings do in the you know there's no one who knows you like your siblings there's no one who tells it like it is like your siblings and growing up my sisters were the first ones to be you know be like what are you doing what are you wearing what are you saying you can't do that don't do this but also like also like my biggest source of inspiration even now and I think that the privilege of being in the middle having my older sister I mean she was a huge inspiration of like kind of sorting myself out in terms of when I was having going off the rails and my uh, very much at a crossroads in my life where my life was off into a very not great trajectory and I got to a point after I graduated just the whole I mean the whole other story I've talked about in the podcast before but pretty much failed my degree bar one mark um, and I had a choice there do I continue on this trajectory or do I sort things out and I think my older sister and seeing how she pivoted her life quite a lot and and really like studied really hard and done loads and done really well and it really inspired me to kind of do that as well and then still now they're both my sisters we've I mean had our rocky parts of relationships of course but like they are very much my sort of best friends and they've taught me so much about myself and still now they're like nobody knows me like them they're like the, the I feel so privileged to have have um have yeah two sisters that we have that relationship and whether that part is testament to us to our parents I don't I don't know what it you know we're just lucky I think but yeah it's great they have taught me lots and lots of things as well about um yeah the everyday things about boyfriends about don't do that don't wear this try this yes they've been definitely my biggest teachers so to wrap this up, um, I can't believe anyone would even have one, but what was your favourite school dinner? <laughs> I know this one, I love the, this question because some people are like, oh, gross and nothing. But actually, and I think I may have spoken to this, about this already on the se- in this season, but this is my primary school experience of food school and school dinners, not secondary school, but we were so lucky in this, our primary school because it was literally like grandma's cooking because literally the the, our, our, the cook that we had and she had her team was Mrs. Cadle and her grandchildren went to the school and she made the most amazing school dinners. And like recently uh, we like the, the village that I grew up in like crowdsourced to get all her recipes into a little cookbook. Like, Cause we still now, anyone who went to the school I went to is like, Oh, do you remember this? And it was, my favorite was was the was when it was sausage and mash day, and she used to do this mashed potato in ice cream scoop. So it was like this perfect ball, which I loved. And there, and also like coconut crackling was the what we. It was like chocolate uh, cornflakes with coke. Oh, it was literally everything was delicious. I thought they were on the same plate. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was coconut crackling on sausage and mash, and I was like, that's, that's, that's well. <laughs> 
Okay, no, it was that was pudding. It was just every, like I mean, I could literally list off everything to like. Oh, to, it was the yogurt for pudding. I think she made for that from scratch as well. The Cornish splits, which was like cream and jam in like scones. It was honestly, we were so like so lucky. I remember getting to secondary school and there was like it was in the days when turkey Twizzlers or whatever they were called was still existing and being like, what is what is all of this stuff? Like this isn't what school dinners are. So then I was I took packed lunches from then on, <laughs> then on in. I hope this somehow gets back to her, like the queen of uh, school dinners. Do you know, I was actually thinking as I was speaking that my little sister is still best friends with her granddaughter, so I will probably tell her there's a little shout out. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really, really good. Um, where can people find you? I'm sure they already know who you are. but <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, you can find me, obviously, at the Curious Club. I'm mostly hanging out over there, but also on my um, Instagram where I share all my sort of coaching, coaching for perfectionists and procrastinators it's at Katri Barrett link I'll link it in the show notes specifically um but yeah thank you so much for for passing the mic swapping other sides of the mic for me it's been really fun being on this side and loved your questions yeah it's been really really cool thank you for letting me host this episode I feel very excited If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure that you're subscribed and please do leave a rating and review because it really helps other people discover the podcast. Until next time, stay curious.